Batman and the Atom. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. I'm Bess. Taking you through a classic superhero team-up, Batman and the Atom from Brave and the Bold, number 115, cover dated October, November 1974. And Bas, uh, you have uh, you have a personal connection to the corpse that wouldn't die. Yeah, this is one of the first Batman stories that I've read when I was a teenager, and it touched all the right chords. In French. In, in French, French, actually. black and white. In French, black and white. <laughs> actually, when I rediscovered for this podcast, because uh, I read it for the first time since then in English, and uh, you know what? The story is still kind of the same. Uh, not a lot was changed. I think they actually, I can't remember what the name of the, the mobster was, but they changed that. They, they gave him a, like a French name? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, those French comics, those Quebec comics, like really did change words around, change yeah. the names of characters. And from one to the other, you might have a Spider-Man might be called L'Araignée or something. Yeah. Or just then Spider-Man. But yeah. uh, <laughs> it wasn't always consistent. It wasn't. But uh, I do remember the story. When when I read it again, I did remember the story was all the same thing. And uh, it, was, it was fun. I, I read it with a smile. <laughs> As you should for any uh, Bob Haney story. Uh, in each episode of FW Team Up, one panelist will pick one character to defend. Uh, so in this case... Bass, who's your guy? I will be defending the Batman. And I will thus take the Atom. So as is customary, we'll preface with uh, a reason or reasons why we like the character we've uh, chosen. Bass, what's so great about Batman anyway? <laughs> well, I'm going to talk about this Batman. Yeah, because uh, this... Batman's going to come up a lot. So Yeah, and, and <laughs> Batman has a, a great history and a great progression. And this one Batman, I really love the look. I don't know who created that look for, for Batman. I don't know if it was uh, Jim Aparo or Neil Adam or I don't know. I guess it's it's from before. It's like the... Well, it's that long cape cowl, blue and gray, you know, the, the classic Batman's symbol on the chest, utility belt with the little capsules. This Batman, he was kind of... The cape cowl thing is just beautiful. How it drapes over the shoulders, gives him a sinister look, but he's not all black. He's blue and gray, and he's he's this weirdly violent Batman, but still lives in that kind of kitschy type of world. Uh, and when I was a teen, this really struck a chord. I mean, this this really touched something within my angst and my uh, lack of patience and everything. So you bring I, an interesting point that it's like we're at we're in the bridge between and uh, Brave and the Bold specifically, mm -hmm. because I think uh, Denny O'Neill took over the character in the early seventies. With the whole the Ra's al Ghul stuff. And, yeah. And so kind of brought Batman... A lot of the DC heroes were more grounded in the 70s. They were bringing him to like more adult feel to them uh, in the Bronze Age. But Brave and the Bold is whack-out crazy it is. stuff. It is, because Batman, in this story, Batman's out in daylight in the street. No. Sometimes Bob Haney's Batman... Uh, has been called like the Batman of Earth B or Earth 1.5. Okay. Because there's always like weird relationships. Like in one issue, uh, Black Canary is his secretary, is Bruce Wayne's secretary. <laughs> I mean, Bob Haney just put the characters where he needed them to be to make okay. his crossover, like his guest work. And I think that's part of the DNA of Team Up Books and why <laughs> this show celebrates Team Up Books is that how do you get these two crazy concepts together? And, uh, you know, how do you make two heroes from different worlds really? work together yeah. and Bob Haney was the kind of guy to put round 
pegs and square holes or you know or the opposite so <laughs> uh so i get it because the that look that look really would evolve from like earlier in the 60s yeah when neil adams takes him over in brave and the bold at the time he gives him a a slicker cinematic uh real world kind of look oh yeah definitely but the stories in brave and the bold especially are not any less silver agey. It's almost like this is like Grant Morrison before Grant Morrison, where yeah, crazy silver age concepts, uh, a realistic world, or it feels like a realistic world, which makes it really cognitively dissonant. Yeah, it's it's very comic booky, and that's what I I really like about it. I, it it was kind of this ghost like Batman, not in his presence, but it, it, his look being. Within that old world he was always in. I mean, even the camera angles within this comic are still looking like the 60s TV show. Yeah. And this is Jim Aparo at the height of his powers, I think, when he took over from Neil Adams. It's a completely different style, but just as percussive and cinematic and oh, exciting. The, the art in this book is beautiful. I loved it. There's this one panel at the start of the, the, the comic book where you kind of see it's Batman reflecting on why he knows this lady who's been kidnapped. And, and, and it, and it's all drawn within his head, but it's, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, I think Apero was actually using some of the tricks that Neil Adams was using. You know, yeah. like using the cape as projection yeah. uh, screen for other panels. Oh, or, yeah. You know, that, that kind of... I love that stuff. Yeah. And uh, I really like also how we do get into that noir. It's just a nicely done comic. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good Batman era yeah. in general. So, Cisco, what's, why, why are you defending the Adam? Well, he needs no defense. <laughs> no, I just like shrinking heroes in general. It's one of the powers, power sets that I like when we're talking about scientific heroes. Yeah. Uh, whether uh, Hammer the Flash or, you know, like, it's a very simple power, but it has many ramifications, including the ability to shrink down into impossible worlds. Mm -hmm. Whether that's the, uh, you know, honey, I shrunk the kids, <laughs> like the, the, the giant garden, or the stuff that really sparks my interest is going subatomic and what's it like to sit on an electron or uh, and there have been Adam stories that have gone that route. It's a weird thing because while the Adam has been used for Sword of the Atom and then came back with Power of the Atom where he's had a little more more battle experience in, in those comics, I feel like Ray Palmer has been mistreated okay. to the point where I kind of like all the other Adams better. Okay. Including Adam Cray, who's like a sort of a mercenary Adam in Suicide Squad, uh, and then Ryan Choi, and, you know, even the, the personality that he's been given on uh, Legends of Tomorrow slash Arrow. So I like all these other Adams more than the core Ray Palmer. So do you think that Ray Palmer's just become like this kind of a template for other Adams to be better? Maybe that's it. Uh, this is very much a case where I like the power set more than the character necessarily. Okay. I've tried to read the Silver Age stories, and they, they all feel really kind of dry to me. So, for me, the 80s are the best uh, Adam, like, Ray Palmer stories. Yeah. And I like those, and I like his personality, and I like these more feisties, like, a, you know, a fist-fighting scientist. Yeah. I like that. So, uh, here in the 70s, he's, he's part <laughs> of the Justice League. That's mostly his shtick, being that guy in the Justice League. In this issue, he gets a lot to do, as we'll oh see. Oh, my God, he does. So, it, it's a fun idea that uses the impossible worlds idea. And both him as a physical being and as a thinker and scientist. Yeah. So it brings together plus a Bob Haney script that doesn't make any 
lack of sense. <laughs> but it's 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 wacky, it's zany, it's but it's fun. Yeah, that's why it's one of my favorite Bronze Age writers, easily Silver Age and Bronze Age for that matter. Let's get into a bit of publication history, let's. Uh, because uh, this is the first time we tackle Brave and the Bold on the show. So uh, let's give the folks at home a few details on that series. Uh, the original series of Brave and the Bold didn't start out as a team up book. Uh, really, it, when it premiered in 1955, uh, it was an anthology series featuring adventure tales from past ages. So you had characters like uh, Silent Knight, Viking Prince, Golden Gladiator, Robin Hood uh, were in those first issues. But from issue 25, the series was reinvented as a tryout title for different concepts. Uh, so you had, uh, for example, that's where the Silver Age Hawkman started out, your favorite. Uh, the <laughs> War Era Suicide Squad. Okay. Uh, the Justice League of America started there. Metamorpho started there. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it, but it's with number 50 that it becomes mostly a team-up book, uh, one of which led to the creation of the Teen Titans. Oh. That, that particular team-up became later... One of my real favorites. (laughs) Right? And in number 59, Batman becomes the main star. Not always, but mostly. By issue 74, it's always Batman with someone else. And in 1982, the series reaches number 200 and takes its final bow as Batman moves to the Outsiders. Oh, what a great move. Boo! (laughs) What a great move. We gained the Outsiders, but we lost Brave and the Bold. Yeah, well, I kind of love, I love that idea of teaming up superheroes to discover new superheroes uh, yeah that's the best way it's a, to it's a great entryway into the wider dc universe in this case or the marvel universe with uh their team up books you come Era. in for the batman but you, you stay for the adam exactly, uh, exactly the title was the first to feature neil adams version of batman's uh, he also used his time on the book to redesign green arrow uh in the look that we now consider iconic than the robin hood the robin bearded hood. look yeah. The primary artist for the second half of the run was Jim Aparo, while uh, zany Bob Haney was the primary writer through the bulk of the run. From issue 112 to 117, uh, the series went to the 100-page Super Spectacular format, which this issue is a part of. So you had other stories, sometimes reprints, uh, of earlier tales, which were not necessarily team-ups. After that, Brave and the Bold brand would be resurrected for the um, first as a six-issue miniseries featuring Green Arrow, The Question, and Mike Barron's Butcher in 1991. Then in 1999, for another six-issue stint, starring Flash and Green Lantern. And finally, with rotating team-ups, only infrequently with Batman, for 35 issues from 2007 to 2010. Uh, Non-comics fans will recognize the title as that of an incredibly fun animated series as well that ran for three seasons between 2008 and 2011. That series gave my son the leaning for these crazy superheroes. He loves Buena Beast and crazy characters, and, and, and I love it. I really did love that show. And it was very much in the spirit of Bob Haney's yeah. Brave and the Bull. Uh, now, while Batman needs no introduction, uh, let's talk about the uh, Adams publication history. Like <laughs> Ray Palmer, The Silver Age Adam, uh, debuted in showcase number 34 as part of editor Julia Schwartz's reinvention of Golden Age heroes for the Atomic Age, quite literally in this case. Uh, it was apparently the suggestion of superfans Jerry Bales and Roy Thomas to incorporate elements of Dollman in the new Adam, uh, because the Golden Age Adam was just a a short guy. He didn't shrink down. But he packed a punch. That's true. But he was properly developed by writer Gardner Fox and artist Gil Kane. The Adam would end up starring in his own series from 1962 to 1968, then start sharing his adventures with Hawkman for about a year. After 1969, he was mostly seen as a member of the Justice League of America uh, before becoming a miniature barbarian in Sword of the Atom, a miniseries and a special in the early 80s. When he returned, it was to star in Power of the Atom from 1988 to 1989. 
Five years later, Ray Palmer would be de-aged and join a new version of the Teen Titans and would, in the 2000s, be replaced by the uh, all-new, all-weird Adam Ryan Choi. Uh, though Ray Palmer was alive in the New 52, it wasn't until Rebirth that he became the Adam again, though he's since disappeared, which has more or less been his on-again, off-again fate since sort of the Adam when he uh, walked into the bush and disappeared. We also have a Ray Palmer Adam on television with Brandon Routh in the role uh, in Arrow and then on Legends of Tomorrow, a character that stands at the crossroads of the Adam, Iron Man, and Blue Beetle, Yeah, really. So there have been many versions of the Adam, but here today we're looking at the true Silver Age and Bronze Age Adam, Ray Palmer. And now, The Corpse That Wouldn't Die by writer Bob Haney, artist Jim Aparo, as edited by Murray Boltonoff. When Batman is questioned on the street about the kidnapping of a young Debbie Manton, a brilliant student who counsels ghetto kids, he shrugs off the press with a quick no comment. But the world's greatest detective knows that if he doesn't find her soon, she will be executed. She was a witness to mobster Bugsy Catheart murdering a competitor, and Catheart's men will never let her testify against the boss. As the Dark Knight locates the building where Debbie is kept and tries to enter, he springs a booby trap and is electrocuted. Batman is then dumped on the street when he is found and taken to a nearby hospital where Jim Gordon is given the bad news. Batman is brain dead. But Gordon knows an old friend of his who might help. That old friend of the Batman's is Ray Palmer, renowned physicist from Ivy University, alias The Atom. Ripped away from his lecture on laser techniques, Ray must concur with the doctors. Batman is dead. Gordon wishes the Bat could walk the Earth a few hours more to at least finish his last mission. And Ray thinks, maybe, just maybe, that would be possible. And that was part one. Part two, the body that was reborn. Ray Palmer puts a GoPro on Batman's chest and shrinks down, down, down until he's able to enter Batman's ear and from there, his very brain. At this size, the nerves are huge ropes and the brainstem is gigantic. Because Batman will need oxygen to do what the Atom plans for him to do, the Mighty Might runs across the medulla oblongata to stimulate heartbeat and breathing before racing to the brain's motor control to give the Bat ideas. And it is at that moment that the Dark Knight rises! <laughs> and thanks to a tiny TV, the Atom can see what the Batman sees. He's off to the cerebellum, which controls equilibrium and coordination, so he can steer him towards a window. The Man of the Night now walks in a zombie fashion down in the streets. The Atom banks on Batman's subconscious crime fighter's instinct to guide the Bat to the place where he was zapped. And the Atom's gambit seems to have paid off. Batman has stopped by himself in front of an abandoned police station. The Atom tries to stop him from going in the front door, but he gets electric shocks from zombie Batman's brain. It's like he's fighting his idea. Subconsciously, the world's greatest detective knows that going through the front door might be the safest, booby-trapless way to enter the building. And Batman's subconscious is right. He enters with no problem. But the dark zombie stumbles across one of Cat Hart's goons. The bruiser must be stopped before he sounds the alarm. Can Batman fight? It's up to the Atom to jump from Cerebrum to the Cerebellum and back to give him the idea to punch and then push the right buttons to actually make the punch connect. As the Knight of the Living Dead throws the left, he misses. No wonder Ray forgot the right side of the brain controls the left side of the body and vice versa. Everybody knows Bats is right-handed. He connects with a strong right and Goonie McGoon is down for the count. With the goon down, a bigger challenge arises. A set of stairs. As the undead detective stumbles up the staircase, he is surprised by the mean end of a lead pipe to the back of his head. 
the atom is shaken to the thalamus, the most primitive part of the brain. But he hasn't lost his little TV. All he can see is the ceiling until a nasty figure creeps in with the pipe held high and the atom is racing to the cerebrum once again. Batman's left leg, while he's still lying on the ground, swiftly and powerfully kicks the goon in his chest, rendering him unconscious. Now Ray has to make Batman stand up again. And he does. Because the Dark Knight rises again and walks into the dark room where he's surprised. Well, not really surprised. He's brain dead. He instinctively stops moving. From the slight tilt on the camera, the Atom figures something's been jammed on the side of Batman's head. He tickles the brain to get the body to turn. A double-barreled shotgun is pointed at the Bat's head. The Atom inputs some complicated ideas into Batman's brain and then heads for the thalamus. In a blink of an eye, the caped corpse backflips, evading the first buckshot, and kicks the door next to the would-be killer and knocks him back. The shotgun falls to the floor, setting off the second barrel and hitting the goon in the chest. Technically, the door and Adam killed this guy. Batman does not kill, but he walks into the next room, only to see Debbie held at gunpoint by another goon. Ten feet to the goon, and not even the living Batman can move fast enough. Adam's got a hustle. In an ultimate move, Batman leans forward and simply drops to the ground with a large thud. The last of Cathart's goons thinks he's in luck and that nothing can stop him from executing Debbie then and there. Suddenly, the Atom jumps out of Batman's head and knocks the bad guy out. Debbie's fainted, so no reaction from her. And Batman's dead now, his temporary lease on life terminated when his microscopic puppet master left him. Time to grieve. Back at the hospital, Batman is once again declared DOA. But Gordon still has faith that nothing is impossible for Batman. He got up and solved the crime while being clinically dead. But to everyone's surprise, brain activity is detected inside the Cape Crusader's skull. He's alive! Alive! He can now get the best kind of smooches from a very delighted dick. And the Adam grumbles that half of Debbie's kisses should be his. Oh, there was a, that was a great issue. <laughs> oh, that was wonderful. This is the thing, This I read this so long ago, and I remember the atom running on the brain and stimulating things, and I was thinking he has to be super speedy to do that. Yeah, it feels yeah. like a flash yeah, I know. idea, except that he's inside but, I mean, a brain. He's he's smart, and, you know, maybe he's running on electrical impulses, and, you know, electricity goes pretty fast, so, I don't know, it was just so weird to have Batman as... Basically a mecha. You know, he's he's a big mech. He's a big robot type thing where Ray is basically piloting him. So he's basically Voltron. He's running the Starship Enterprise all yeah. by himself. And exactly. he has to run down to engineering. Because <laughs> uh, they don't have like a centralized control. Yeah. Uh, so it's it, it feels like Bob Haney sort of read an article or a book about brain function. Yeah. And what parts of the brain control what. And sort of digested that quickly and then wrote a story about it. Oh, I gotta put that in a story. I think he went the Michael Crichton route, <laughs> where he went to see something or saw something on TV and then wrote a, a story about it. You know, Bob Haney's famous for uh, when people asked him about his process. He's been known to say that these the stories were disposable. You've got to write like a pile of comics every month. You just, you just write them. You don't think about their lasting value. And that wasn't, you know, that wasn't a thing. Yeah. Stories weren't collected. You know, usually you might get a reprint sometime later, but it's, it's a disposable thing. You know, don't sweat the details. It's basically um, <laughs> this is where this, conti- this is where continuity freaks are going. What? 
Exactly. And that's why it's all on Earth 1.5, right? Yeah. Uh, because it's not quite, I mean, Earth beat. No, nobody will want to say that this story actually happened where zombie Batman is being piloted by the Atom. And yet it did. And it's a wonderful story. I, I, I just love how this is a one issue story. Everything is resolved at the end, even if it, it's, you know, don't say smakina. It's, it's, you know, the grace well, of Batman's God. Batman's got to wake up at the end. Yeah, and just... he wakes up, you know, he's miraculously saved and, you know, he can get up and... Well, he's had the atom running around in his brain. Yeah, he's stimulating and... everything. Stimulating, yeah. And, you know, it's better than brain damage. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, uh, it, it's zany, it's crazy, it's fun. It kind of feels like a what if, but it's not a what if. It's It's an actual story. And I just, I, I really like that kind of stuff. I like it when it's out of continuity and it's just a great story. Yeah, the continuity doesn't really matter. And I like these yeah. team-up books because they're very often one-off stories. Yeah. And they can exist just by themselves and be fun and interesting. And this thing is, like you said, we were talking about the Neil Adams and Jim Aparo uh, dynamics. Yeah. And this feels very, regardless of the silliness of the story, this feels very violent. It at is. Times. I mean, Jim Aparo is, it's not gory or anything, although you're inside a brain. <laughs> but no, but I mean, the, the, there's violence in there. Like when a guy gets shot, like the guy gets shot. The goon gets accidentally shot with a shotgun. You don't yeah. see it, but yeah, it's still and it's still a body count. And having the Adam pilot Batman, you know, he's not pulling punches. He's he's punching full strength and kicking full strength all the time. So when he punched that one guy, knocks him out in one shot. You know, all the sound effects mm -hmm. are all huge. When he kicks the guy with the shotgun, you feel like Batman just broke ribs. I mean, Batman knows how strong he is and how much he can kick or just to hurt somebody or disable him. But this Batman is not pulling anything because it's the Atom who's poking at the brain and making these movements, right? Yeah. So everything just feels like one shot, boom, and everybody goes down. And that's one of the things about Jim Aparo's Batman art is that when there's a hit, when Batman punches or gets punched, it always looks like an explosion. Mm -hmm. I mean, the art has an explosion to it, just like, you know, it's like he's wearing firecrackers in his gloves and boots. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes we've seen panels where somebody gets punched in the face and like this, the head seems to explode. Yeah. That's just a special effect, but that's very much part of Aparo's style. But you know what? It still mirrors that old 60s uh, Rare! Exactly. Slam! But you don't have... The sound effects are not zip and wazow. It's thud and boom and crack. And it, it's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing, but it's violent-er. You know, it doesn't feel wacky, but it's the exact same thing. And it's beautiful to see how it mirrors the funniness of the old times with this kind of weird grittiness, but it's still the same thing. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the, um, the idea that... Like, why doesn't the Adam just... Finish the mission himself. <laughs> what does he go through this whole thing where, uh, I think it, maybe it's because the, um, at first, Batman's subconscious or instincts lead him to the yeah. bad guys, which he couldn't have done by himself. He's not a detective. Yeah, but that, that's kind of a, that's a shot in the dark, right? And it paid off because mm -hmm. Batman could have just walked down to the 7 Eleven. Or is he trying to, give Gordon some peace? Because, because Gordon seems to be, oh, if only he could finish one last mission. Well, I think there's a bit of that. I think uh, maybe Ray, being physicist and a doctor and knowing a bit, he's not a medical doctor. He's no, but he appears to have every science yeah, down. He's a hat. super science guy. He's yeah. a super science superhero. It's, it's not just physics. It's so maybe he knows that if Batman is brain dead, stimulating him in his brain might help. Maybe I don't know. 
Because we, we have to invent a reason why. There's there's no reason why. This is just... It, the real reason, it's because this is a Batman the Atom team-up. That's the reason. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm trying to think like Bob Haney here. You know... It, Watch out. What, what can the Atom do? Well, he could be smart, you know, small enough and pilot Batman in his brain. Well, why would he do that? Well, maybe Batman's brain dead. That's what... That's the team-up. We can put the Atom on the tip of a Batarang also, but that, meh. That's been done to death. Yeah, and just because he doesn't explain it doesn't mean there wasn't any thought to it. Uh, there are a couple of instances in here of um, foreshadowing. Yeah. Uh, for example, well, there's a foreshadowing of his of Batman's death because the um, the journalists at the start of the issue use the headline, um, Batman is grim as the grave. He doesn't want to give interviews. Yeah. Jeez. It's <laughs> a, a bit of an odd <laughs> statement, but, but I also saw it as how this is where Batman kind of becomes darker and he's going towards more of a he dark He used to night. be a sort of media darling, yeah. friends with the mayor kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, but, but now it's... He's yeah. pushing people away. Exactly. In the wake of Robin's leaving, or you know, it's, yeah. we can sort of fit it in the in the narrative. Yeah, it kind of fits, but it's still kind of weird that Batman just meets the press on doorsteps. Well, you know, and you see that this is the the very social the socialite Batman because yeah. of course he's he's trusted by the GCPD and all that. It's, there's mm-hmm. none of that sort of stuff that would come later where he's yeah. at odds with the police. No, he's walking down the, yeah. the, the cell blocks and, you know. But he knows the victim's family. Knows the history of this victim? Uh, he he knows, knows her personally? He maybe? knows a, a transient called Army Eddie. Yeah, yeah. He meets in the street and it's not part of the story much. It's just but, like, he's got contacts everywhere. But he knows them because he asks him, what, what are you doing here? Don't Army a, Eddie? Yeah, Army Eddie. What are you doing here? Probably, and, a, uh, probably a Vietnam vet. Probably. This is 1974. Exactly. Sense. And, you know, Army Eddie says, well, I found this nice place, but they punched me in my face and, you know, I'm down in the dumps and I can't go back in the place where I was because that's where the bad guys are. And yeah, Batman he, goes, yeah, that's where. That's it. Uh, you lost your squatter's rights. I'm going to go uh, exactly kick, kick some heads. So Batman just knows everybody. Yeah. It's, so it's that, that kind of friendly neighborhood Batman yeah. from the 60s. But with a temper. When he grabs Bugsy, uh, what's his name, uh, uh, Cathcart, he's like in this prison cell, this... Old school looking bars, prison cell. He just grabs him and he, and he slams him against the bars. Yeah, and and he has to be talked down because you know in, in the next panels he's like, all right, now I'm I'm calm. Let's talk about this. And you know, Gordon briefs him or whatever. So you know, the, <laughs> Batman has this bad temper. Yeah. He's getting edgier and edgier. Oh yeah, uh, through, through that era, he has and no patience for anything, despite being caught up in Silver Age plots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know it's beautiful. One of the things I like also is that there's no point where the Adam and Batman have a conversation. Yeah, it's true. So it's like, is this a case of Batman never knowing that the Adam did this? Oh my God. I and that think... no one will. No one will ever know that the Adam did this. <laughs> so you know what? This could have happened and still be in continuity. Yeah, yeah. Because nobody knows. Not even Batman knows. Unless Ray told him later on in a, you know, Justice League meeting or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, Haney might be zany, but I think he was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and the oh, we didn't talk about the cover. Uh, oh, we didn't talk about the cover. because it's it's a thing where these hundred page uh, giants like put a lot of stuff on the cover, so you get like a mini cover inside a bigger cover. Yeah, it's like a catalog cover, the cover of a uh, yeah, because you need a little square for a little panel for Challengers of the Unknown, another yeah. one for Doctor Fate and Hourman, the other stories in this book. So you get a small thing where the corpse that wouldn't die. 
uh, where the, the mobsters are saying we killed Batman and no witnesses, but there is a witness. It's the Adam hiding behind Batman. Exactly. It's a cool image. It's a total fake out on what the story will be about. Exactly. Batman's dead, sure, but it's not a witness thing. It's not, You probably wouldn't want to telegraph this plot on the cover. No, not really. But yeah, the cover seems like something that would be in the comic, but really isn't. And I like these, but when is this? I don't know. There's a gun. There was no gun in Batman's death. He was electrocuted. <laughs> he sprung a, a booby trap. So, you know, it, it's misleading and... And then the whole thing with the atom is like a different dynamic. It's a different yeah. story. Yeah, exactly. But I do like the image. I like like the the atom hiding, you know, holding on to the bat ear. Yeah, and it's great for uh, for scale, you know. Mm -hmm. But also we see the other, you know, covers on this one on one hundred page, you know, one hundred pages for only sixty cents. That's a great price. I think everybody will agree that that's a wonderful price. And DC went to hundred pages for a lot of their books okay. at this time. It makes sense, Brave and the Bold being like this generic title. You could put all that stuff in. Uh, the artwork is still in that yeah. tone, and it's great. It's I wish fun. this were like the bigger... It should have been. It should have been like the bigger cover. It's, it should I, it have been. It would look great as the, the full cover. Because you, you don't need to put the Challengers of the Unknown on the cover of the cover. You know, you don't have to... You can you can just mention it. Especially since this, it just appears to be like panels from the story. It's so I tiny. know. I know. So it... it, it, Batman, it feels... Batman and the Adam got robbed! Here's a segment we have on the show. Who fared better? So between those two guys, mm -hmm. uh, there are a few questions we like to answer each time. You know, Batman and the Atom, who fared better? How well this fits each of their normal atmospheres or stories? Is this more a Batman story or is it more an Atom story? Debate. That's a great question because I didn't really read any Atom stories. So I'm thinking this is a Batman story. And the only reason I'm thinking this is that even though the Atom is there and is working very, very hard, uh, the tone is all Batman. The star is still Batman. We're in Gotham. We're in Gotham, but the Atom works as a unknown hero in this. We don't know he's piloting Batman. We don't know anything. He's doing all this work, but it's, it's backstage work. He's not in this story. I think basically. in this case, I would not give it to either. If I were to defend the Atom, which is my job here, uh, I'd say, well, it, Batman's dead. Mm -hmm. It's totally an Atom story because it's about using scientific principles, perhaps in a wonky way, but yeah. it's a it's a Flash or Atom story with a super science hero yeah. doing super science things to create unbelievable effects. Yeah. So using shrinking to take over a human body, and then it's all about name dropping these different parts of the brain. Yeah. And navigating us through the neurons, uh, whatever that fantasy scape actually would be like. I mean, it certainly wouldn't be light enough to, to, to see anything. Of course not. <laughs> but that's part of the, you know, part of the shtick. So it, it feels like an, a Flash or Adam story where you're using science to the extreme yeah. to fix problems. You're using science to blind people. But I agree that w whatever we're outside the Batman, the Batman's head it's very batman-y it's uh it's a grim noir story with mobsters and violence and you know murders and yeah so truly i would not give it to one or the other in the, at this point. i think it's like a perfect marriage of those two characters as far as uh the tone well so much so that uh, one wouldn't have worked without the other although uh, the adam could have just took over and yeah just... like the the wrong way to do this is while everybody's anxious about Batman in a coma, the Atom, but that's hardly a, you know, actually, hardly a team up. The bad way to do this is 
the Adam puts on the cowl mm. and becomes the Batman, but a shrinking Batman. And that would have been like kind of, eh. It's still not a team up. It's not a team it's up. It's like uh, passing through the torch. Yeah. Okay. Uh, cool moves. Who had the best moves? Uh, you know what? Batman stopping when he feels that shotgun towards his head. And this is all subconscious. He just knows. Well, he leads us there. He goes through the, the front door without, like, his brain shocks the atom. In other words, he's still in there. He's, he's still, still in there. This is really a celebration of Batman's brain power. And how much he he is smart and he is the greatest detective. But... He's also just this powerful brain person where his subconscious can save yeah. him, basically, from... Yeah. A powerful will. He has enough willpower to raise himself from the dead in this. Basically. <laughs> basically. All he needed was, like... He was, like, on just... low battery power, but... So Batman is uh, the guy here. Well, I could argue that the Atom is actually the one pushing the buttons, and he's the one that's... Oh, yeah. ...doing the, the punches and the acrobatics. But aside from the key idea, which seems... Really ridiculous. I'm afraid, yes, the Batman has this one. You, you know what? While we're just talking here, I'm I'm thinking, you know where this team-up really comes together? Is how the Atom kind of knows Batman enough to plant these ideas that he knows Batman probably has already. So this is Ray Palmer. He's just triggering. He's just being like a link. He's just, he's just, you know, breaching the gaps for what he knows Batman would do. So the team up is a very cerebral team up where they're both thinking of the same thing at the same thought at the same time, but Batman can't move. So I think this is where the team up becomes maybe bigger than just two of them punching somebody in the face together. Nice. So we'll give cool moves to Batman. Cool moves to Batman, but, you know, uh, heads up plays to the Atom. Dumb and weird moves. It's not who fares better, but who fared worse, because you, sometimes... You know what? I'm going to say Batman did a really stupid thing. When I mean, he goes into a booby trap? What kind of Batman goes into a booby trap? He should have known that that thing was trapped. And being electrocuted like that? Really? Batman? You kidding me? I mean, he should never have gone through that window or tried to get into that window and get shocked like that. That was a rookie move. Batman needed to be taken out. But whenever these stories happen where somebody dies and then it's undone, obviously it gets to be undone, uh, it just says, well, you know, all these villains have tried to kill Batman before. And this ridiculous happenstance is actually what does him in. These ordinary mobsters we'll never hear from again are yeah. the ones that actually can claim to have killed the Batman. So that's always like a yeah. weaker I, a, a I, weaker premise. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I don't I just didn't buy that Batman would walk into a booby trap. It, I think the Batman, he triggers booby traps on purpose. And that's his trap. Oh, it was all a big plan, you know. It was all it was a big just plan. he's going to fake his coma and then it's like, <laughs> oh damn, not only am I faking a coma, I've got to fake what Adam wants me to do so I don't reveal it to the Adam. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, that's uh, right. Because Adam's uh Stupid move is that even though he knows how to, somehow knows how to trigger a brain to do different things, none of it seems to be particularly, it seems very awkward to do. But then he misremembers that, you know, he's stimulating the wrong half of a body, that, that kind of stuff. Dumbass. And yet, <laughs> and yet, a simple tilt of the camera, which could mean anything. I mean, it's on the chest. It's, it's a, oh, oh, he's got something to the side of the head. Or, you know, <laughs> 
Yeah. That's true. He's very good sometimes, and he's pretty stupid other times, depending <laughs> on what the plot requires. Well, you know, his TV skills maybe aren't up to par with his scientific skills. That's you know? it. And finally, there's the friendly farewell. Now, this is a team-up tradition that I've uh, tracked, and then I, really it started with a blog called The Comic Treadmill, uh, which uh, references, obviously, Flash's Cosmic Treadmill. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the things they, they looked at in um, particularly Brave and the Bold is the friendly farewell between the two heroes at the end of a team-up book. I like to ex- examine those moments as well uh, in my own work. And um, the friendly farewell here is absent. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Un- inexistent, it's not there. It's like Batman doesn't even know what went on. Right. He, he blanks the atom. he blanks Ray Palmer because Ray Palmer's standing around and Batman's getting kisses so I guess as far as that goes Batman if we go alpha beta I guess Batman wins that one (laughs) or Batman's just being a jerk he should you know he should say hey Ray because Ray's not there being not look he has a pipe and he's out there just looking at and oh Batman's getting all the smooches and which is fine. She's a, you know, college kid and she's an adult. Why would Batman not at least say something? He knows he was out. I mean, he lost time for like a day and a half. <laughs> and yet, and yet, solved the crime. Solved the, <laughs> well, oh well. So, yeah, so it's, it's really Batman gets all the credit. Yeah. And it's like I said, nobody knows the Adam took part in this. And so he doesn't get any kisses at the end. Yeah. Uh, so Batman wins the friendly farewell, but he's not being friendly with the Adam. He's not being friendly. So basically he loses. He should be friendly. So who fared better? Generally, it's Batman. It's Batman. Batman wins. But see, the sad thing is the Adam did all the work. <laughs> <laughs> this is the sad part. <laughs> Adam did everything, just pulling strings in the backstage area and trying to do everything, and all the special effects are all the Adam. But you know what? None of the credit, none of the smooches, not even a goodbye. Just don't let the door hit you in the ass, Ray. <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of sad, but it's still a great story. We'll take a break for a couple of promos, and then we'll be back to uh, wrap things up. Coming soon from Amalgam Comics. Power of the Batmite number one. When Wayne Palmer's parents are killed by things man was not meant to know, on the Ivy City University campus, he starts on a lifelong mission to rid it of the monsters as the Dark Nat Detective. Using dark matter found in a cave he fell into as a boy, and which, as an adult scientist, he has crafted into a suit that allows him to shrink into the shadows. Now he strikes fear and confusion in the hearts of evildoers as Batmite. Network. Remember, Melbourne. 
We're back in one final feature, the bonus team-up. Ooh! In which we, uh, each of us, proposes a perfect Adam team-up. Bass, yeah. who would you team the, the Adam with? Probably, no surprise here, uh, I would team Adam and The Flash. It's a Super Science Freaky Friday type adventure where the two heroes swap their superpowers. Okay. The Adam gets to live life at incredible speeds and sees life from the Flash's perspective. And the Flash slows down to the speed of an electron and, and is confronted by size and space like he's never been before. Uh, the Super Science team must use their super knowledge to understand the newly acquired powers and defeat the light and dark supervillains team of the Shade and Dr. Light. Okay. I want to write this comic. Well, it makes sense to put the two science heroes together. I mean, I use them as examples often enough in the show. But, you know... There's uh, a link there. The the atom, when you shrink down to certain sizes, uh, physics are different. And when you, you run or you go to super speeds, the physics are, are different. So these I don't two know why guys... these two characters... Like, DC should publish a science textbook... For, you know, I don't know, teenage, uh, you know, yeah. like uh, high school classrooms and uh, like these guys are explaining stuff. Yeah. That would work. That would be great. As for me, I would team the Adam up with Blue Beetle Ted Cord. Ooh. Basically, the, the premise is that I split the TV Adam into his two constituent parts. So Ted Cord gets to shrink down in the bug and have tiny adventures with Ray Palmer uh, against the bug-eyed bandit. I mean, like the bug would fit right into, yeah. could like secretly fit into... The Bug-Eyed Bandit's army. Oh, I love that. That's what I would do. I mean, is it too blue? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's, it's just blue enough. Yeah, just blue enough. Yeah, Batman and the Atom was like blue with yeah. like the touch of red. If people at home have different ideas for who would you team the Atom up with, please let us know in the comments. Thanks for teaming up with me, Bass. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime. Remind people where they can find you if they enjoy your particular voice. Uh, well, I'm on this little show called First Strike the Invasion podcast where we, we look at Every issue and every tie-in of the Invasion crossover from DC Comics from 88 to 89. And I'm also one of the Lonely Hearts podcasters, where we have this Lonely Hearts romance comic podcast. You can find it on the, the Fire and Water podcast um, quite easily. And a reminder that uh, we do enjoy reading your comments, so the best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also visit the Fire and Water Podcast Network Facebook page or tag us on Twitter using the hashtag FWPodcast. See you next time for another amazing superhero team-up, because after all, justice is a team effort. Let that be an object lesson in the dangers of tampering with the laws of Mother Nature.